Jeffrey Epstein is accused of running an underage sex trafficking ring. He's a hedge fund manager who has powerful political connections that include former President Clinton. Epstein is already a registered sex offender, pleading guilty back in 2008 to charges of soliciting and procuring a minor for prostitution. I posted a video the other month. It was called, I researched Epstein for 30 years and we're talking about Ryan Dawson. It got 5,000 likes, 100 dislikes, one of the highest rated videos on the channel. I've been inundated with people requesting that we get Ryan back on for part two. And here he is. So we're gonna go over things far deeper on this podcast. I'm going to um, go over the Eric Weinstein questions again, which I intended to do last time, but we drifted off into other stuff. And also, I don't know if you guys have seen out there following this case, but John Mark Duggan just released a video purporting to have a picture from one of the sex tapes. And he's claiming that this guy is the head of some huge media company, but we'll have more details on that for you in, in future videos. So how's it going, Ryan? How's it been since the last... Since the podcast we did, and what was the reception you received? Very positive reception for the most part, and I got a lot of uh, traffic from it. I've since then lost my website. <laughs> I've always censored on something, but uh, I think that's going to be resolved shortly. And uh, a lot of people on my channel um, have been following the Epstein case uh, with me uh, since at least since he got most recently arrested and then suicided some of them much longer than that but we got a lot of new eyeballs because of your channel and I have you to thank for that and you to thank for linking to me and giving credit and doing things that a lot of people tend not to do for some reason <laughs> well you're so deeply researched and authentic it's a credit to that resonating with the viewers which which motivates them to wanting to click over so from last time I spoke to you, are there any new developments on the case you'd like to talk about before I get into these Eric Weinstein questions? Well, there's a lot. I don't know if it's new or not. There's a lot that we just didn't get to in the time that we had. That And also, well, I guess this is a new development. I've created an interactive Epstein map. Some people have seen the Epstein map videos that I did last July and, and so on. I make these little maps, but... We decided, and this might be why my website's down, but we decided to make an interactive map with faces and names of companies that you could click on and it would go to a report uh, with all the sources about the information of the individual or the company we're talking about as it relates to Jeffrey Epstein. So, and we made a poster as well. So that, as soon as, you know, as soon as I can get my site going again, we'll have that available for everybody and all your viewers. And I hope that'll be this week. Is it hackers that are taking you down? This was my no. It was it was an inside job. My host took me down, and we have proof. They they this it's not specifically targeting me. I think they do it to a lot of people. For once, it's something Bluehost does. It's a scam with SiteLock where they put malware on your site and then hold your site hostage and say, well, you can buy this anti-malware, which they get a kickback for uh, to remove it. And most people capitulate because if they don't, they can't get their site back so it's wow. something they do but i had some nerds go in there and look at it and said they just renamed your files and put 1111 next to it it wasn't even malware like somebody from the back end went in and renamed files 
to destroy the site. So we went in and fixed it, and it's currently migrating now because I got to get off that host because I've had nothing but problems since they got bought out by a certain larger company. And if you Google Bluehost Site Lock Scam, you will see I'm not alone. This has been happening to many, many people. It's extortion is what it is, but it's very hard to prove. And it doesn't you don't know if it's a company thing or just it could be as little as a couple employees just figured out a way to scam people and upsell them on anti malware. So for for once this isn't me getting deplatformed because of my content. This just is coincidental of some jerks that deplatform everybody for a little bit of cash. Before the Weinstein questions, then let's go over the things that you felt we left out in the last episode. We've got plenty of time. What were the what were they, please? Oh, I'm not sure. I just know we didn't get into everything. <laughs> I don't remember what we talked about and what we didn't. Uh, and there were some things we got into. I think we did cover part of his financial scandals, and we mentioned some others, uh, but I don't know if we really got into detail in explaining. I think I said he had a Ponzi scheme, but I didn't say what that entailed specifically. I don't know how detailed the audience wants to know what they did at, at Tower Financial or, or yeah, what have you. Yeah, we want but, all the detail, and I'm hoping to interview the um, the guy who went to prison for that here soon. Oh, uh, Hoffenberger, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's one of their earlier scams, you know, and apparently uh, Steve, he was introduced to, Jeff was introduced to Steve by Douglas Lease, uh, who is an arms dealer in the UK, who would have known... Uh, Maxwell, uh, the senior Robert Maxwell, and according to Arvind Menashe, they weren't very good at the arms deal. They, meaning uh, Jeslene and Jeffrey, they were good at sexual blackmail, but they tried their hand at some of these financial scams, and everyone that's saying that Jeffrey Epstein was some sort of financial whiz kid or a genius or whatever, he really wasn't. His Ponzi schemes were pretty basic fraud. He just lied about his assets, lied about the lied about um, how solvent the company, whichever one he did it multiple times. But in this case, like Tower Financial was a collection agency. So they went around collecting debts. It's one of the things that it did. And what they started doing is they were, first of all, they were getting more investments than they should have by lying to their investors about their books, just simply fudged the numbers and said they had assets they didn't really have and said they had money they didn't really have. So they were borrowing uh, tainted money in a sense. And then they were not investing that where they told their investors they were going to invest it. Instead, they tried to buy out uh, things like Pan Am Airlines and, and they were gambling on the stock market essentially. And what really blew it up was when the Lockerbie scandal happened where Pan Am Flight 103 was blown up and the stock tanked and the bottom fell out. But Epstein... Uh, on many occasions, he would still move things around by making false brokerage accounts. Uh, well, they weren't false, but he used intermediaries to do that because he didn't have a license for it, lied to them, and temporarily could float the stock up. But eventually it fell out. But he got out of it squeaky clean somehow, even though he was the principal uh, center figure in the Ponzi scheme. And over 200,000 people lost money in this. And all these people that were investing in Tower Financial who didn't know that their money was being gambled with in the stock market were never really repaid and it was over $475 million plus interest which would be about $1 billion as of last year, a little bit more than that now and they 
they're never going to get repaid. I mean, and that that's just horrible. And and yet, Epstein is still able to then work for Bear Stearns, get loans from Deutsche Bank. There are zero financial consequences for what he did, and he never informed anybody that he got a loan from what his history was, and they didn't really ask him too deeply either. So he's both sides to blame. But he's rubbing shoulders with all these billionaires because of the mega group. Wexner's probably the most famous uh, name on that map, or he's famous now. I don't know how famous he was. He's infamous would be a better word. That's who gave him a house, you know. And so when he can show you, oh, here's my $77 million home and I have another place in the Caribbean. And by the way, do you know I know Bill Gates and this guy and this guy and this guy? It makes it easier for you know people to believe that, oh, he's some financial whiz kid, take my money and invest it. But all he was doing was lying to people over and over. And he, most of his bets were failed. I mean, he was terrible at it. But he was managed to stay afloat because of his side business, which was blackmailing, blackmailing principally science and technology and media uh, on behalf of Israeli intelligence. Do you think then if he got a pass on the financial scams, that was because he was doing that for intelligence and the money was going to intelligence? Well, he got a pass because partly the money, partly the money was propping up his cutout lifestyle. Um, but he also needed a lot of money to run all these different properties, like to get an island in the Caribbean, an isolated island in the Caribbean takes a lot of capital. And he had to have some way of explaining how he got that. He can't say, oh, I'm Israeli intelligence and this is my payroll. You have to have some other explanation for how he's getting all this money. So he said, oh, uh, oh, he's a hedge fund manager. And he didn't even like to call himself that because he really didn't do that either. <laughs> he only had one real client, which was Wexner. And the rest, he was just squandering people's money or acting as a middleman to set up uh, dummy companies like uh, I think we talked about last time about liquid funding and Bear Stearns Ireland as a way of taking – they were taking junk assets and totally insolvent like this, just same, same as the housing bubble, bad securities, bad uh, CDOs, and they would offset the debt by moving it off the books from Bear Stearns and on to liquid funding. And then the rating agencies all would come and look, and then on the first of the month, they'd buy them back again. <laughs> And he issued faulty commercial paper into a bunch of money markets. And it, this sounds complicated, but it really isn't. Any idiot can do that. What was amazing is how long he could do that and get away with it. And he was, he was kind of an untouchable guy. And as we find out later from Acosta, for example, who claims he was told back off this guy's intelligence. Well, he's not U.S. intelligence. The U.S. isn't spying on itself. It's foreign intelligence. And it's very clear by his list of clients and financial supporters which country that was. So in Maria Farmer's recent interviews before she was legally gagged, she is claiming that Epstein was boasting, I got this property for a, a dollar from Wexner. And it seems that Wexner was the head of the snake, according to Maria. Have you listened to any of Maria's recent interviews and were there any revelations in there for you? I got summaries of her interviews from other people. I didn't listen to them myself because I'd love to have done that, but I've been on the defense all 
past few weeks with my websites disappearing and being kicked off Twitter and doing the normal <laughs> censorship uh, dance that I have to do. But, you know, from what I heard from the summaries, at least, it was, you know, sickening details, some of the things that they said to her and what they did to her. And this is clearly someone that was severely abused. Right. And something she say might seem a little loopy or whatever, but you have to read, you have to understand this is a person that was a victim of serial child abuse. And so, you know, bless her for coming out of it at all. <clears throat> but well, Wexner she, she, is the head of the snake in the sense that he was the conduit from the mega group that was responsible for being the, the financial sponsor for Jeff Epstein. So she's saying that they also threw the Rothschild's name around a lot as if in the power structure they were at the top of what was going on. Do you concur? There isn't really a top. It's more of a bar. And at the top are all the all the mega group people, which, which include Rothschild, Steinhardt, uh, Wexner, the Bronfmans, both Bronfmans. Uh, and then you've got some other billionaire clients like the Dubins, um, Ace Greenberg, etc. Very powerful men, but the the very top for a longer period of time. This is really an evolved group from the Sunborn Institute all the way back in the 40s, uh, which consisted of millionaires rather than billionaires, but uh, you know would be billionaires today. And you had people like uh, Abby Hillel Silver and Ted Kulak and uh, uh, Yudal Razi, Leonard Wiseman, those kind of guys, and of course Rudolf Sonborn. Um, and you know, a lot of these people had you know a lot of these people had connections to organized crime. Uh, Sammy Kay, Meyer Lansky, etc. And Sammy Kay actually was a a conduit between Ted Kulak, uh, who is the Second command of Haganah, I forgot his fancy title, um, but uh, and he was the executive secretary of the of the Jewish Agency, which was sort of the government in waiting that becomes the first Israeli government. The JA also, by the way, is who sponsored the infamous Five Dancing Israelis, according to Paul Kersberg, the the head of that cell. But this is an important part, and it kind of dovetails to something that Ari Ben Menashe brought up on your show. I watched that interview, enjoyed it. You guys were talking about Iran-Contra a little bit, and it what he said was true in the sense that Israel wanted Iran and Iraq to tear, apart, tear each other apart and favored Iran over Saddam Hussein. But the contraband and financial and military aid to Nicaragua started before the Iran-Iraq war. Israel had set up uh, financial aid to Somoza because his father had done the same for uh, Haganah back in the 40s. They acted as a third party, a, a third flag country to get around Export Arms Export Control Act. What would happen is the United States would send weapons to the National Guard in Nicaragua who would then divert them to Haganah to use in the war against Palestinians. So, And the same group that set that up, the Sonomorn group, is the first generation of the mega group. All those guys are dead now, but uh, almost all. But the second generation is the Bronfmans and Wexner and Steinhardt, and there's a whole list of them on my site that doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> but uh, there will be a list of them. And however, one name that is in both generations are the Rothschilds.
but not the same individuals. And if anyone wants to watch the interview I did with Ari Ben-Manashi, former Israeli military intelligence, it's in the description box below this video, as is a link to Ryan's YouTube channel, which has been up and down over the years. Um, mm. So I urge people to go over there and check his channel and subscribe and look at his excellent work. He's got these videos explaining the map. He's got in the background there in much more detail. Um, so there's endless content over on his channel as well. So that's down there in the description box. If you had a chance to interview Ari Ben Manashi, what would you ask him? Oh my gosh. I don't know if I will get that chance, but um, I have a lot of questions that I'd want to ask him about, uh, about Maxwell more than Epstein. I think what he's given us about Epstein, he kind of gave us after most of that had been figured out, but he knew Robert Maxwell, and I'm very interested in another case because although Arbin Menashe worked in Israeli intelligence, not the Mossad per se, but Israeli intelligence, they did set up a honey trap with the Mossad to catch Mordecai Venunu, who had been the whistleblower on kind of an open secret now that Israel built uh, hundreds of nuclear warheads. They acquired that technology by stealing it from the United States, mainly from an area in Apollo, Pennsylvania called Numec. I have a film coming out about that. And I'm interested in the Venunu honey trap because Venunu went to the UK papers. That's how Maxwell, why he informed Menashe. I want to know, why did he even know you at that time? How long had that relationship lasted before uh, the Venunu affair? And what got them in? Were they targeting British media? Because every intelligence agency, not just the Israelis, try to infiltrate media if they can and control as much as they can. So I have a lot of questions about Robert Maxwell because his history is sort of just the tail end of his life and the scandal with what happened to his wealth. You know, he had this huge pensions fund scandal, but where did the money go? You've got a missing fortune here. You've got some unexplained fortunes over there. What happened? And I bet he knows more than what he said. So I'd like to kind of grill him on uh, Robert Maxwell more if I could. There's a fascinating account of that honey trap in the book, The Assassination of Robert Maxwell. People watching this video, I imagine a lot of them are not familiar with that story. Could you tell them that story from your own perspective? I think Gordon Thomas has some two books on that may go over that. I think that's who you're referring to. Yeah, Robert Maxwell was found naked and dead off his own boat, I believe, near the Canary Islands. And he had been working with the Israeli intelligence as a, a tattletale and moving money around. And it's a very important figure in to have because he was in British media. And uh, all his daughters were successful too, except for Gazleen. They call her a socialite, which is a code word for spoiled brat. <laughs> he never did anything. Like, what's a socialite? Someone that hangs around wealthy, successful people. Uh, it was a mysterious death for him to just, you could claim, I suppose, so maybe he just took off all his clothes and got drunk and then fell overboard and drowned. You could say that. You could say Epstein hung himself and it was just a coincidence that the cameras didn't work, that the guards didn't check at him, that his roommate had been moved out of the room, 
that he'd been taken off suicide watch, and that he had signed the 1953 trust just 36 hours before he was found dead. You could say that's all coincidence. I don't. And I don't believe that Roderick Maxwell had an accident and fell naked off his boat. Uh, I believe, and I have heard from others, that he was trying to squeeze money out of the Israelis and threaten to reveal ways and means if they didn't comply. You don't blackmail professional blackmailers because there's a one solution to blackmail, and that's to kill the blackmailer. And that's more than likely what happened. But they did honor him because his eulogy was read by a former the chief of the Mossad and attended by the former chiefs of the Mossad. So they really respected what he did in stealing Promise software and getting Mordecai Benunu thrown in prison. He did more damage. I mean, to he really helped the Israeli state contain things, go after their main enemies, steal from the United States. So he was a company man up until he wasn't. So they respected him until then. But they cannot allow him to reveal ways and means. That's about the only thing that would get you uh, bumped. And apparently, according to many, that's what he was trying to do. So he was taken out. And yeah. taken out in such a way as to let it know, like, yeah, we did it. But we didn't do it. But yeah, we did. <laughs> because he just found naked off his boat, you know. Reminds me of Gazelle de Blanca. She used to have people whacked. And then she'd show up at the funerals and she'd make sure she cried the loudest. And that's how you that's how you know who did it. Just to expand on the version of events then in the assassination of Robert Maxwell, in that book it is claimed that Robert Maxwell is on his yacht, the Lady Ghislaine, and he's up to his neck in these financial difficulties. He is leaning on Israel to come up with money through the banking connections and you know, threatening that information will come out if, if that money is not forthcoming. And they decide he's got to go. So they have this special team that's training for months. And they decide on the type of poison they're going to use. They give Maxwell the impression, they tell him to go you know, a certain place. And he's, he's under the impression that there's going to be some kind of meeting whereby the money is going to be forthcoming. And he's on this, his boat off the Canary Islands. And the hit team is in a dinghy. And they're tracking him. They're below the radar. They know his routine. And they come up alongside the boat in this dinghy. And he's up there on the deck. And the frogman clamors up, comes up behind Maxwell, and boom, gets him in the neck with the poison. And it's lights out from there. Now, um, you referenced the honey trap earlier that uh, is also in that book. Uh, they lured Venunu to Italy. Yeah, can, uh, can you go over that whole story, please? Because I think it's really relevant to what Epstein was doing. So Mordecai Venunu is an Israeli whistleblower that went to the Sunday Times and other papers, and he had taken pictures of the warheads in Demona, which we kind of already knew. I mean, RFK and others, had, had, that's a long story. We've always known about Israeli nukes. But he showed the world photographs of it, so it was undeniable. And he and what's odd is it didn't matter. We it's kind of like acknowledging Taiwan exists. It's just something that everyone knows, but governments still act like it. You know, it's it's not there or something. No one will mention Israeli nukes in the American government. One guy did, Ron Paul. He he acknowledged it, but they have hundreds of nuclear weapons, so they wanted to get rid of Mordecai Benunu. He he tattled. He's he's not. 
I mean, what he did was in the interest of the world and world peace, and he told the truth. He's a whistleblower. He ought to be honored. But he would end up in solitary confinement, confinement for 11 years. First words out of his mouth when he got out and then he would go back in again was Michael Piper was right about JFK. <laughs> so, but the way they caught him was by using a honey trap. Now, a honey trap, for those who don't know, is when you're lured in, uh, usually by a woman if you're heterosexual uh, and you're a man, uh, where they have um, you know some temptation lure you under the pretext of of sex or sexual deeds and get you vulnerable and then of course they are actually a, a female agent or just an asset or a paid prostitute somebody that's irresistible that can lure you to the right place where they can go nab you and it's used over and over again I mean Charles Kushner you tried tried to use that he did successfully use it on Governor McGreevy in that case that it was a male honey trap because McGreevy was homosexual closeted homosexual by the way he was married but he did sleep with uh Golan Sapel uh Kushner did that also to his own stepbrother and he would go to prison but not for the honey traps he went to prison for breaking uh campaign finance laws but this is something that Hoover did all the time the FBI is fond of this tactic and you have to think Epstein what's his specialty creating honey traps so and so that would mean that Maxwell, both Maxwells, uh, father and daughter, were involved in the business of honey trapping. And this is how they would catch Mordecai Vanunu. Now, the Israeli intelligence Mossad have plenty of other people who do the same things, but this is kind of the kind of skill set uh, they're setting up. And a huge target is whistleblowers, media, science, and technology, because those are the things they want to steal. And of course, always politicians are targets. They promote the compromise. They don't catch somebody in a sexual deviant act to open it up to the media as a scandal and get them fired. It's the opposite. Once they got them, they go, now you work for us. And if you don't obey, then we'll release all the info and get you fired. So this Manunu guy then, he knew what he was up against. He was on guard. How did they get a woman to trick him? Well, apparently they lured him to Italy with somebody that uh, someone close to him. I kind of forget the details, but the honey trap did work. I mean, every man has a weakness to somebody, I suppose. Uh, but uh, he thought he was safe. He didn't think this was an Israeli asset, but it was. And once he was uh, away and in a vulnerable spot, they, they basically kidnapped him in the night and uh, threw him in prison so before blowing the whistle on the nuclear arms. Yeah, I think he, um, didn't he fall asleep in one country and wake up in another, something like that? So whatever yeah, he, did he, to him. He, he went out in Italy and ended up in, in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. <laughs> so what I'll do now then is I'm going to play a section of this Eric Weinstein um, Stein um questions about Jeffrey Epstein and then I'll pause it throughout and get your thoughts in more detail because I did set out to do this last time with you um, sure. but I just got so lost in your research I was so fascinated uh, we started to go off on, on all of our subjects so okay I'm going to play at the beginning of it now all right there is some glass wall that is preventing the Epstein story from being discussed properly everyone's interested in it the questions are basic and there's a guaranteed story to write. Simply ask the most basic questions of the officials involved and print whatever comes back. 
whatever it is, there's no possibility of an uninteresting answer to the central questions. And yet, the central questions are not asked. And what are those central questions? The first one is very simple. You have to ask every government that might be involved, was Jeffrey Epstein known to be attached to any intelligence agency anywhere in the world? Then you have to ask, were his file activities known to the intelligence agencies? And was there any kind of tacit approval or understanding? Or is there a categorical denial that such techniques may never be used? What would you say to that? Yes, we, I mean, we obviously know, and I know that Eric knows which intelligence agency that is. It's Israeli intelligence. Uh, his girlfriend and cohort, remember, she's not just dating him. According to all the victims, she was a central abuser herself uh, and part of this. And her father, of course, was involved in a honey, one of the most notorious honey traps in Israeli history, catching Mordecai Benunu and also stealing technology from the Pentagon and giving it to Israel. We know that his financing comes from the mega group, the mega donors, which are hardline Zionists in all their writings and every action they've ever done. Furthermore, we know that he has not one, but two Israeli prime ministers in his black book, Ehud Barak and Ehud Olmart. Uh, Ehud Barak, by the way, helped cover up uh, rings of child abuse himself. He's witnessed at Epstein Properties in person, both the island as well as the New York property, which he tried to hide. And they financed him through the Wexner Foundation that Epstein was on the board of. So more than $2.5 million went into his coppers. And they also financed him through Reporty Carbine, uh, which involves uh, Eric Weinstein's boss, by the way, or Peter Thiel from PayPal, as well as Eric Prince and some other, you know, uh, less less than noble characters. So if he is financing an Israeli prime minister, by the way, he also, uh, Barack was involved with introducing Harvey Weinstein, who abused women in Hollywood, to Black Cube, which is former, uh, Mas former Mossad agents. And furthermore, uh, Olmert, was deeply involved in that because he first he was a mayor of Jerusalem and then he became Israeli prime minister because Ariel Sharon went into a coma and he is responsible for the 2006 war on Lebanon. Now the 2006 war in Lebanon was predicated on the Rafiq Hariri assassination in 2005 uh, in Lebanon which was blamed on Syria to get Syrian troops to move out of Lebanon so the Israelis could move in. And they had a one-on-one -on -one with Hezbollah because the Israeli military or the Lebanese military didn't lift a finger and Israel was still defeated. But that assassination plot, which was falsely blamed on Assad, no motive, by the way, why Assad would want to assassinate the prime minister of Lebanon, but it did act as a pretext to get the Syrian troops out. And that leads right into the Syrian war, etc. But so these are central uh, intelligence operations because that entire conflict started on the assassination of a world leader by a man, the head of a state who's in the black book of Jeff Epstein and has also been accused by an Israeli journalist of sexual harassment because he pinned her against the wall and stuck his tongue in her ear. And then we have the Ari Shur story and the George Steinberg story, which I talked about last time. So all this child abuse and it's centered around not just Israelis, Israeli prime ministers, 
plural, and he's getting financed through the mega group out of Canada and the United States of Zionist, and he is furthermore acting as a financial arm into the uh, coffers of Israeli politicians that made it to the highest level in the land. So Russian, right, CNN? <laughs> of course he's working for Israel. <laughs> so Maxwell was also, you know, he said his ultimate loyalty was to Israeli military intelligence, but it was far more complex than that. He was laundering money through Bulgaria. He was working with Russian intelligence. He was coming back from Russia and leaking things to MI5, MI6. To get Epstein taken out on U.S. soil shows CIA involvement or, you know, another intelligence agency, maybe one that we've never even heard of, but are U.S. based. So could you expand on the potential complexity? Really, Epstein, you could take someone out in MCC if you just had enough uh, connections to New York organized crime, because most of them already have most of the prisons like that so they can do that. It doesn't really doesn't mean it wasn't the CIA, but it doesn't have to get that deep. Uh, the Clintons are very fond. The cocaine Clintons, I like to call them, <laughs> are kind of what everyone says. Oh, he got Clinton because it's funny. But there were a lot of important people. It's kind of like the JFK assassination. So many people needed him dead, right? Not just the Israelis. There are a lot of billionaires that know what he has on them and that he was going to flip, you know, because this guy could take jail jail right he lived a life of luxury of abusing kids and uh you know you know what he did and how he lived he he was writing notes i can't this isn't fun he was just breaking and falling apart and his way out is to plea bargain up so everybody needed him out but when it comes to the cia and the Mossad and mi5 and six it they kind of bleed together they have shared nexuses like the safari club for example which is uh, multinational intelligence cliques uh, that they use. And, yeah, Robert Maxwell was sharing intelligence. Like moving arms and things out of Bulgaria is something the Israelis often do. Those former satellite states from the Soviet Union are, it's a place where there was an enormous amount of arms surplus uh, during the Cold War that now has no place to go. And it ends up, uh, it ends up being trafficked to warlords and al-Qaeda groups, for example. Al-Nusra Front, Arad al-Sham, all these ISIS groups in Syria, they didn't build tow missiles. They didn't build all these Toyota Hilux trucks or go buy them off the car lot. They didn't build all, all these anti-tank weapons and things. They bought them. And they got them uh, through this illegal arms network. A lot of them did come from Bulgaria. Uh, and Romania and played the, the whistle has been blown on this, by the way, and they found the markings on the weapons. Uh, but they shifted them through uh, private companies like Purple Shovel, which is American. There have also been equivalent uh, British equivalents as intermediaries in the arms race. This is normal, unfortunately. And yes, the CIA is involved in that, and so all of them, all the three-letter networks, get into that. So. But that's the kind of relationship that this uh, nexus has. And so what I try and stress is there isn't a very clear division sometimes when you're talking about international arms trade and human trafficking between CIA or MI6 or the Mossad. 
because a lot of them, like in Syria, for example, all of them have been working together to covertly arm uh, Al-Qaeda. Now, you can't do that publicly, obviously. And you couldn't publicly arm the Contras in Nicaragua either. But we know that Israel and the United States did do that jointly. They had a joint covert intelligence operation that in part sent contraband to Iran and used the proceeds uh, to explain weapons to the Contras to fight to Sandinistas. Publicly, it was the opposite. They're supposed to be opposing the Contras and Israel's not involved. And the reality was Israel started it. They had been aiding them uh, and create, they created them from their onset and they had been aiding Somoza prior to the revolution in Iran. And they had they'd been doing that. The U.S. gets involved in 1980. And there's some great books here about that one by uh, Terry Reid. It's called Compromise, Clinton Bush and the CIA. It's a kind of a thick nerdy read but it's got the best information and then the I've, other I've one got by, it. I've got like, it on the shelf behind me as well you, you got it on the shelf it's yeah, great yeah. Trick or Treason you might have this too by Robert Perry I used to be one, from yeah. Consortium News about the October Surprise and I think if you read these two you'll get your head around that and it's very important to understand Iran-Contra because the money laundering the, the other half of that financial wing was illegal narcotics obviously uh, so it was contraband as well as drugs. And they do this now, and that's one of the central points about the war in Afghanistan is controlling opium, same as Vietnam was. Because the heroin, the opium, the morphine base, all of the opium derivatives that you can make and sell act as an explanation for how all these terrorists are able to buy all these weapons. They say, oh, it's the money from the drug trade, right? That's because you have to have some sort of off-the-books budget to pay for all this junk. But the reality is the CIA, the Cocaine Import Agency, and others act as the – they give the logistical support. They've even used their own airplanes to move these drugs around and guns. And that's what happened and unfolded in Iran-Contra is the, they were training pilots illegally, a lot of, mostly in Arkansas and MENA, for example, uh, to go in and bring guns in and bring drugs out which were openly sold in L.A., Miami, and New Orleans. And the New Orleans drug connection went all the way back to the banana wars of the 1930s. But that's another, I probably shouldn't spend too much time on that. But here's another one. You don't have to get this, but if you really want this, is called Cocaine Politics um, by Peter Dale Scott. And that will get you in there. And then, of course, I always recommend Doug Valentine if you want the real, really nitty-gritty details on the organized crime distribution wing of it, whether it's that in the United States. And you can really think of Al-Qaeda and warlords and so on as organized crime and cartels in Mexico, etc. He has the best books on that. They're up on my shelf, The Strength of the Wolf and the Strength of the Pack, Doug Valentine. Those are the books you want to read. And people say, ask me sometimes, like, what video or where should I look? I'm like, mm -mm, just go read these books. That you can't beat a book sometimes. It's just so you've you've read the Terry Reed book. That's very hard to sum up. <laughs> you have to read it. But if you understand what happened in Nicaragua, you can understand what's happening in Syria, because it's the same thing. They even had both assassinated journalists, right? Nicaragua, they shot someone, and in Syria, they beheaded someone. And yet, we're actually aiding the side we say we're fighting. 
And we haven't had that, you know, airplane down moment in Syria. But I think the whole world knows by now that we are not sincerely fighting Al Qaeda, that we have been covertly arming them the entire time. Uh, well, we created them, first of all. <laughs> we created them to fight the uh, Mujahideen fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan. And that relationship never died. And there was no dip during 9-11 either. That was hand in glove all the way through to now, which is a long story. But this is the kind of thing uh, that these people do. Now, that's Robert Maxwell's business. Is He's not that deep into moving arms and stuff himself, but he was a financial guy moving the money around. And you got to have those. They're called bagmen. He is one of the bagmen and media moguls. So... That those tricks of the trade and trust and money, you know, they took him out because of what he did in the end, but they still felt loyalty to what he had done to the state, right? And so his daughter, uh, she's not, she doesn't follow in that. Tried to, failed, but their niche was this sexual degeneracy, where they were abusing all these young girls, and they they found a very key way to really throw some steroids into it, and that was rather than procuring girls from broken down homes and orphanages and things out of the classic human trafficking trope that you know been practices they made it professional because they had an opportunity with the collapse of the soviet union you suddenly had access to these areas that were completely impoverished and yet full of you know it's not because they're impoverished because they're all drug addicts or lazy or whatever it's just because they're communist and so they had this golden opportunity to go into a lot of unknowns, uh, young girls, and set up modeling agencies and pick the cream of the crop, which is the better for a honey trap, and say they've got no economic opportunities and they're waving money in their face and promises and they'll get them out of the Ukraine or Latvia, et cetera. And then immediately once they have them in the Caribbean or the U.S. or France, they take their passport away they, and you know what happens from there. Uh, Jean-Luc Brunel's MC squared or MC2 modeling, which first base is in Tel Aviv, by the way, uh, they got pristine, young-looking women, young women on the model level. And then you got Wexner that had Victoria's Secret uh, and L all those LL brands, professional models. And Epstein even tried to act like he was a recruiter, right, and sexually harassed Victoria's Secret models. But his thing went younger, and they did. And apparently he got a, a set of twins, or I think they're triplets that were 12 triplets. years old on his birthday. Yeah, triplets, 12-year-old triplets, uh, Virginia Gouffet said. And, uh, you know, it's sick, and they were how Mark Epstein was housing them. Maybe he had a I don't want to know, or who knows. Maybe they, he just did it for money or didn't want to kind of suspected something. but just didn't want to see it because it's his brother. Who knows? how deep he was in that but they were housing them right next to them and they had a model full of ho house full of models and they was in and out and so that really upscaled the whole operation they had access that's just one of the modeling agencies you know and they, they're dipping in and using these girls who really had no voice but sometimes uh, they would grab english-speaking americans who had run away from home or something like the case of virginia roberts and that's really come back to bite them <laughs> Because these are the principal ones with the wherewithal to stick it to them later. I mean, she she was smart enough to say, I want to get my masseuse license and, and Thai massage. And they flew her out there 
and she met a man and ran away and went to Australia where she was safe and distanced enough and brave enough to start talking. Unfortunately, it took a long time for any sort of justice to come, but I believe one of Eric Weinstein's questions in there too that he'll ask is, or should ask even if he didn't, is why? Uh, since we've known since at least 2006, he's arrested in 2008, but they had a 53-page indictment on him that the FBI did when I say they never followed through with, but why did they wait 13 years and never went after his cohorts like Gesleen Maswell and Jean-Luc Burnell? Why? Not And Prince Andrew and so on, none of these people, Wexner, they're, some of them are free and they publicly know their location and aren't even being questioned. And others have gone under the radar. Why didn't they raid all his properties simultaneously? They hit New York and they gave him the months to clean out whatever was in the Caribbean, whatever was in Paris, New Mexico, etc. And Florida, they didn't touch it. And apparently there was one in Ohio. They didn't even talk about that. They just hit New York and that's where they did find the passport with a faulty name. There again, you know it's intelligence too. As some of the victims had said, when I needed a passport, they just produced one for me. I guess you might be able to do that just by being ungodly rich, uh, but it's very easy to do if you have a state sponsor, which they did. Well, that is a fantastically detailed answer, Ryan. That's what we appreciate on this channel. I thank you for that. I'm just going to go over a few little things um, off the top of my head from what you've just said. Yes, I would absolutely urge people to read Compromised by Terry Reid. I've got that on my shelf. And what gives it so much credibility is Terry Reid worked for Barry Seal. He was a pilot. And Barry knew he was such a straight shooter. He didn't tell him about the cocaine loads. So after Barry died, Barry's dream was to have like an Air America over Mexico. And after Barry died, Terry Reid did go down to Mexico and continue working for the CIA. And that's where he witnessed the cocaine shipments and then he wanted out. So as soon as he wanted out, to make him somebody who could never reveal this information and be taken seriously, they criminalized him. They targeted mm -hmm. him for assassination. He was on the run. And he went through hell. And the mainstream media did a big piece on him, the big hit piece, because he'd been present when Clinton was there, you know, laundering this money through Arkansas, Rose Law Firm, Clinton, yes. taking, yep. taking fees. He, he, he met Clinton when Clinton was getting stoned and high on cocaine. He saw all this. And he describes all this. If you're interested in the Epstein case, I take a much deeper dive in my books, which are available worldwide than Amazon. We've got Who Killed Epstein, Prince Andrew or Bill Clinton. Virginia Guffrey alleged that Epstein ordered her to have sex with Prince Andrew three times, including an orgy on the Pedo Island, which included underage European girls. On the Lolita Express, Bill Clinton was photographed with Epstein's sex slaves. After Epstein was suicided, both men denied any knowledge of his crimes. This book examines the roles of Epstein and his accomplices in the Honey Trap operation and the likelihood of a royal prince or an ex-president being co-conspirators in his assassination. That's Who Killed Epstein. Then I've got Elite Predators, from Jimmy Savile and Lord Mountbatten to Jeffrey Epstein and Galen Maxwell. In 2022, Galen Maxwell was sentenced to 20 years in prison after she had procured teenage girls 
for Epstein and his predator pals. The connections included the most powerful people in the world, ranging from royal family members such as Prince Andrew to former presidents, including Bill Clinton. While the mainstream media protects the innermost circles of the establishment, this book reveals the harrowing truth of elite child molesters and the calculated methods they employ to conceal the horrific activities, which often span decades. And then more recently, I've released Untouchable Jimmy Savile. Savile was a practicing Catholic who raped young boys and girls and had sex with corpses. He was a God-fearing believer who participated in satanic rituals. He was an unprecedentedly generous charity fundraiser who was too tight to buy his own meals. He was a friend of princes and dukes who ate bacon sandwiches at his local Greasy Spoon. He was a peace activist who tied up troublemakers in his nightclubs and had them brutally beaten. He was a furry godfather who hated children. Untouchable Jimmy Savile demolishes the mainstream media narratives portrayed in Netflix's and the BBC's documentary. And we show that Savile's behavior was enabled by the most powerful members of the establishment for whom he was a fixer and a procurer. So these three books are available worldwide on Amazon, paperback, ebook, audiobook. They've got hundreds of five star reviews. Check them out. In the book. And this is not some conspiracy theorist. This is not someone, you know, out the clear blue sky. This is someone who was there working for the CIA, working under Barry Seal. And um, absolutely. He's a patriot. He fought in Vietnam. And there were a lot of them in that group that they brought over to train pilots. And they did not know that they were bringing in cocaine and guns. Really brave guy. He risked his life coming out with this information. And his life was ruined. And he was um, thrown in jail. And they tried to do everything possible to discredit him. So his book is available worldwide on Amazon. It's called Compromised by Terry Reid. I'll put the link in the description box below this video and urge people to click on that. It will absolutely open your eyes way more than a lot of these videos. I've also got the, both of the books by um, Douglas Valentine on my shelf. They're good further reads as well. Now, an interesting point that you said was that it was possible that the mafia organized crime could have took Epstein out in the jail. And yeah, organized crime can take someone out in a jail. Office. I don't think that's who it was. I just wanted to mention that that is a, is an option because I might yeah, be wrong. It, so I it, admit it, that that it, is an it, option. It is a very credible option because there was a place where the government, the intelligence community and organized crime coexist and mm. the, they, they use each other. And they will have especially in that out. city. They, <laughs> they, will have, they will have people taken out by the mafia, and then the link of causation back to them, you know, is completely hidden. So we've got right. The if they get caught, hey, it's just a mob guy that did it. Whatever. It's interesting you say that because when you're talking about Barry Seal, who was also very fond of the ladies, uh. Little, little. I don't. I'm not going to get into this can of worms, but you know that Barry Seal briefly flew with David Ferry. Yeah, I've written, a, I've written, I've written a book on it, and um, yeah. America. I've got America Made behind me, and I've got Clinton, Bush, and CIA conspiracies. America Made is all about Barry Seal, and it goes back to it's it's who killed Barry Seal, um, George H. W. Bush or Pablo Escobar, and it goes all back to Barry Seal growing up as an ace pilot as a kid you know, with Ferry um, going to, down to Cuba 
and everything that uh, that whole world he was indoctrinated in, which the movie America made complete white. It was not following. Ferry was in the Civil Air Patrol with Lee Harvey Oswald, who is said to have killed John Kennedy all by himself. Yeah, so all that's all that, I got all that detailed is 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 complete history with Oswald and everybody um, in that book. I'll put the I'll put a link in the description box um, as well for, yes. for what, what I've written on that as well. But just going back then to organised crime taking people out. So you've got um, on my suspect list. I've still got his cellmate, even though the cellmate was removed. You know the the, the cop who killed all those guys in the drug deal gone bad. Cop turned yeah, you can just go there. back in though. So right there you've yeah. got a bridge between law enforcement and organized crime and that bridge could easily have been utilized by the cabal that wanted to get epstein eliminated so yeah that's it's, it's a very excellent point you know that, that that organized crime could have been been involved all right let's i'll go back to what what um eric you had patrick ho in the same prison too <clears throat> who was laundering money to africa's excuse me uh, in Chad, Uganda, for bribes, and Epstein and Maxwell briefly bragged about how what that they'd done. That <clears throat> man, I'm getting something in my chest. Sorry. <laughs> have, to, have, a, but, have a drink of water while I um, <laughs> broadcast what Weinstein. Sure. Is it Weinstein, Weinstein says next. Now we have not recorded the no comments, or we don't discuss sources and methods that's typical in these stories where you should be able to say can't i at least get a statement that we would never condone activities to be used for intelligence gathering purposes all right the next question jeffrey epstein was supposed to be a hedge fund manager of some kind and he had extensive offices at a place called villard house the former uh, helmsley palace this trophy building is a place that I myself dropped off materials for Jeffrey Epstein to review in connection to a hedge fund matter. What I want to know is where are the trading records from Villard House? It would be almost impossible to go back in time and fake trading records for a billion dollar plus hedge fund. And yet nobody seems to have ever recorded uh, a trade with Jeffrey Epstein. We don't know where he did prime brokerage. There are no financial records that explain his fortune. What do you say to that? It's because Jeffrey Epstein was a cutout. He wasn't really a hedge fund manager. As like I said earlier, that was to explain his renowned income. But really, he was uh, he had financial sponsors for the mega group. And he yeah, he did try to engage in some Ponzi schemes here and there. But you're not going to find trading records in the large house because I don't think they exist. But okay. he's right. Like, why? Why hasn't that question? Why hasn't someone said, "Hey, why don't you go look there?" <laughs> if there's nothing there, boy, you got a lot more questions to answer than don't you? But it's like that never happened. Just like why didn't they arrest Gesline Maxwell right away? Why didn't Why didn't they investigate all the properties right away? And the reason is because anytime Israeli intelligence is involved in a crime. The American government's not interested in figuring out who did it. They already know. Okay, let's keep going with this then. Are those publicly available? Or should those be publicly available? I don't even care about that. Where are the records? If, if there are no records, I mean, presumably this person paid taxes. Presumably this person had to make SEC filings. I don't know. But the key issue is I don't think there was a hedge fund. When I met Jeffrey Epstein... Uh, which might have been something like 2002 before he was uh, charged with sex crime violations in Florida. Um, 
I did not believe that Jeffrey Epstein was a hedge fund manager. And I, in fact, called my uh, wife at the time and I said, this man appears to be a construct. And she said, what do you mean by a construct? And I said, it's like they've hired an actor to play a hedge fund manager. But this person didn't behave like uh, the super rich normally behave. He didn't behave like a hedge fund manager behaved. He didn't have any of the substance that you would normally associate with people of that class. I'm not saying he wasn't smart, but he was glib. And he lived essentially like he was Gatsby. I only met him once. Uh, it was probably for about an hour or so. Um, but he was an absolutely terrifying person to encounter. It would be surprising to me if I was alone in that I immediately had the suspicion that I was looking at somebody who had been constructed rather than something that had organically arisen within the financial community. Further questions that need to be asked. Where was Ghislaine Maxwell's passport last cited? Assume that she has one or more passports and assume that governments record when passports go through a border point. Okay, we should at least be able to ascertain where was the last point where her passports, or at least one of her passports, were officially seen. I don't know of anybody asking this question. Can we not call up Interpol? Is there no sense in which we can guess where she was last located? Where, what was the last social event in which she was recorded? We don't seem to know anything about this person. Why are we not talking to Les Wexner? I don't... Okay, before Wexner then, um, the, the, the passports and where she was last seen. Right. It's a very simple question. Where is her entry port, right? Where is her port of entry? The last one that we know of, and of course she can, she's got multiple passports and under names, you know, go wherever, is from the UK to the US. She was last seen in the US. And she does have a tax record, at least for her Terramar uh, Oceans charity. I have her tax record from 2017-18, which was uh, out of America. And she was living in Boston. She'd found a new sugar daddy, um, or maybe an additional sugar daddy, you could say. And that's the last place we knew where she was. Now, I think she's still in the U.S., even though I know she could flee to Israel, and they would, they would definitely harbor her there. But if she went to Israel, she would have very little freedom. Excuse me. Freedom of movement. And the U.S. is a very big place to hide, and she knows a lot of people, a lot of connections, and has a lot of cash. Um, but we don't really know. That's just the last place. But what the government has the power to do Excuse me. <laughs> is simply ask where was her last time she officially used her the passport with her name on it, and that wasn't done. So Eric Ben Menashe, I think, speculated that she would be in Israel. Do you discount that? If she went to Israel, they would. I mean, she'd be under house arrest because they wouldn't. They would. They don't trust her, and she's not useful anymore. Her best bet is to uh, to stay low in the United States, but she could be in Israel. But um, based on the evidence, where her taxes, where where her money is, and where more of her contacts are, and where her sugar daddies are, uh, we're all up in the northeast part of the United States. Maria Farmer speculated that she's here in the UK. Do you discount that? That would be my second guess. I would put the U.S., U.K., Israel, and then and then she had family in France and so on. But she's not going to go to the obvious places. And I, going back to the U.K. would be dumb. Um, she's got. We know where her properties are. That she's most recognized there. It's much smaller than the United States. So if I'm her, and I thought about this, like where would I go? 
where's your the hardest place to find you? Well, the United States, because she's limited by languages she speaks, right? Like she can't just go wherever, right? And so she's probably, uh, you know, just French and English is all she's got really. So she doesn't want to live in Israel. That's why she didn't live in Israel. Uh, she's always been fond of the UK and the US. She's a socialite, remember? She's a spoiled brat. Um, so she could have retreated back there. Um, but she was in the U.S. when Epstein got arrested, when when they decided to split. So um, we, it, it's a moot point, really. We don't really know. We're, we're all speculating at this point. That one makes the most sense to me. But, you know, Jean-Luc went off to Brazil. At least we, that's where he was last located, right, because he used a cell phone down there. It is interesting, though, that Ghislaine used a fake, or, or um, not faked, but faked in the sense of the timeline photos of her at in and out uh, on the west coast i think in and out was a euphemism for something else in the particular book should that whole thing that was uh that was all distraction because it was disseminated widely and quickly and so that's exactly where she wasn't where she was actually last physically seen was in boston and she had a sugar daddy there and that's the last time they saw her uh, so that lady is probably, you know, grown out her hair, wearing a wig and changed her appearance and has plenty of cash and they're not even looking for her. So it's sad to say. Have you got the UK as number two because of the Maxwell's history here? Because of her history there. And then I don't think she went to her family in France because the French police actually are looking for her. So don't go there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's where, like, um, Roman Polanski fled to, and they didn't extradite him back, And who, which Dershowitz was a lawyer for. Uh, he raped a little boy. Um, and then Dershowitz, Mr. I Kept My Underwear On, is, of course, the principal lawyer for Jeffrey Epstein, ADL award winner, hardcore Zionist, and so on and so on. But finding Maxwell is, you know, where is Carmen Sandiego kind of uh, game cat and mouse. It's almost impossible to find somebody with that much money and cash unless you're like the FBI or something, and they're not interested in catching her. So one of my recent guests, I can't recall whether it was Nick Bryant or Ed Opperman, said that Ghislaine had made a mistake by inserting herself into the lawsuit um, in the, domain, the legal domain of the island. Do you agree that she's made a mistake by inserting herself into that lawsuit? And if so, why? She made a lot of mistakes, but in her mind, it doesn't matter. She's protected little princess because she's part of Israeli intelligence and she knows they're not going to do anything. Epstein really screwed up. Uh, but Ghislaine, look, she, the witnesses that were after Epstein were after her too. All of the people who were abused that have come out publicly have said, now, I don't think there's one of them that were only abused by Jeff Epstein, right? All of them have said, yes, she took part in it. She took part in orgies. She took part in abuse. And in fact, their uniform is saying she was worse. At least Epstein was outside of the abuse kind of nice to them a little bit, where she was the one they were afraid would, would kill them. She made death threats to people, and there are cell phone records of that. I mean, she should have been jailed. Right, just on that alone, and she shouldn't. The, the sweetheart deal should have never happened. It's illegal, by the way, because it, there's a federal law that you cannot make a deal where you don't even inform the victims of of the deal, right? And they just did it anyway. So you can't do that just because you're rich. This has to involve a foreign state, and I think Eric knows that, and he knows which one it is. Okay, I'll continue with Eric. 
don't understand why these people are not being interviewed or uh, deposed. We have a very strange situation. And in all of these cases, a simple declaration of no comment would be a newsworthy story. I mean, I'm hopeful. I mean, investigative journalism does take time. I'm hopeful You've there are. You've got to be kidding. I, I really, I'm going to shut you down on this. It's been over six months. This doesn't take that long to get a no comment from the CIA. I'm not talking NSA about the no State comment. Department. I'm not talking about the no comment. I'm, my point was going to be, I, given, given the amount of interest in the Epstein story, there must be some investigative journalists working on it. I completely agree with your points about the no comments. Like that, 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 not that is not being. Of, I'm sorry. It's not a question of some investigative journalists. We we tripped over some enormous structure. We don't know what this structure was. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. The the fortune that I think I've seen referenced is something like six hundred million dollars. Who with six hundred million dollars would make these purchases? You know, multiple jet aircrafts, uh, private islands, um, you know, a townhouse you know, on 71st Street in Manhattan, a huge comp complex uh, in the New Mexico desert uh, property in Paris. It would appear that most of this was intended for display. I mean, in other words, the behavior patterns of Jeffrey Epstein suggest an 11-figure fortune. Uh, maybe high eleven figure fortune. This person appears to be uh, somewhere in the nine figures. That's two orders of magnitude off. Now I know that. What do you say to that? Yeah, I agree. And you, when you look at some, uh, when he talked about New Mexico, we found out after the July thirtieth dump that Governor Bill Richardson of New Mexico was in his black book, uh, as as were senators and. One thing I didn't talk about last time, which is on the new map, the interactive one, it's also on the poster, was about Leon Black from Apollo Global Management. Uh, through through an intermediary of is this a number letter name thing BV70 LLC, uh, there was a transfer of $10 million into Gratitude America, which was one of Epstein's uh, fronts. And then on the board of directors uh, with Leon Black for Apollo Global Management was Robert Kraft. Uh, so, and he, of course, solicited prostitutes uh, from sex traffic victims in Florida, if you remember that story. And a lot of perverts that are involved with Jeff Epstein, and these are billionaires. These are the 11-figure kind of clowns, right? He's involved with... Jamie Dimon and James E. Staley and the Dubins and uh, Mel Sebler, that these aren't millionaires. These are billionaires. Uh, that's his targets. So to fraternize with this kind of crew, you have to have at least a front of that front, that kind of wealth. And yeah, Eric is right. I mean, you look at it, it's two magnitudes of order off. But it's a display because he wasn't really a hedge fund manager. There's no real record or proof of any of that. So how is he able to get all these wonderful toys? And then we know uh, it's from the mega group. So that it's, I wish people knew more about the mega group, but it's a kind of an untouchable topic because it's just it goes against political correctness to admit it. Uh, and sadly, that that makes a lot of people clam up. Very rich is very rich to many people, but you know, as a person of much much smaller means, 
I can tell you that if you hang around with people who are in this stratosphere, they behave very differently depending upon which order of magnitude they're at. And Jeffrey Epstein was at the wrong order of magnitude. He was behaving like a high 11-figure type guy, maybe, with what appears to be a nine-figure fortune. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my point on this is that I don't, I don't know where the media interest is. Um, and, it, it, and it doesn't add up that there wouldn't be media interest given the, the, the huge desire for the story that you can kind of see every time you log on. Anything, any scrap is interesting to everybody. Yeah, especially given that we already know the links to someone like Prince Andrew, the British royal family. This is one of the biggest, potentially one of the biggest stories let's talk about, that has ever, has ever happened. Well, let's talk about the interview with Prince Andrew. What was that? <laughs> now, I cannot believe my ears when very intelligent people watch that interview in its entirety and then say, well, he was unprepared or uh, it was a mistake to grant that interview. I think that that's not true. I think we have no idea what that rep interview represented. I think that that interview was so bizarre. And so clearly, it was almost like he was trolling the media who was asking him questions. Was he forced to give an interview and he decided that he would rather go down with the ship and give the world's worst interview? He could do stand-up, but he doesn't even know. that he was completely trapped and that uh, his best strategy was to make fun of the entire process. Um, by giving answers that were so implausible that no child would ever believe them. Whatever that interview was, it was one of the most remarkable pieces of footage anybody has ever seen on television, Barnett. Do you think Andrew is that stupid and not that calculating? Oh my gosh, can you rewind to the part where he just goes, what was that? <laughs> was, was it, is it Billy Madison where the guy says, we are all now dumber for having heard that? <laughs> it's like, at no point did you... <laughs> <laughs> but to me, the reason this is so funny, though, is Eric Weinstein's a very – he's a mathematician and he's a very intelligent guy, and he has a, a hard time understanding that anyone can be that dumb. But they can be that dumb. <laughs> and I know in his world, he's like, you can't be that stupid. Any child would know you're lying, da 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 da, da. but – Prince Andrew is absolutely that stupid. I know he thinks he was like a hostage victim giving signals or just, you know, trolling everybody. But he's like, yeah, basically, I'm going to get up and let everyone know I did it, but you can't do anything about it. That's, I don't think so. I think he really, he really was that stupid. He thought, oh, I'll nip this in the bud because you have to understand a prince is somebody that just grows up with yes men all around them, blowing smoke up their butt. And everybody agrees with whatever you do, and anytime you screw up, it's taken care of, you know. And he went in there thinking it would be a softball interview, and just, you know, it was like it's it was worse or at least on par with watching Joe Biden. That's how bad it was. <laughs> like he just the bit I remember. That's something Andrew said. I'm like, well, what's the bit you're claiming not to remember? You're automatically saying there's another bit. You're like, oh, we went and got pizza. I'm like. In the afternoon, what'd you do at night? It, it, that interview was so terrible. And you've got two explanations. Either he's just did it for the lulls to troll everyone, or he really is that stupid. And I disagree with Eric on that. I think Prince Andrew absolutely is that stupid. And I think it's hard for a lot of uh, in, highly intelligent people to fathom that a person, an adult, could be at that level. 
but uh, I've met plenty of people like that, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, if he's, if Eric's um, yardstick is billion the billionaire class, then the royal class is just a whole nother level. And just because you're born into royalty doesn't mean you're born with a high IQ and, and business acumen or anything else, as we saw in that interview. And I, I agree with you entirely there. I mean, the stuff he said, I don't sweat, I don't drink, and immediately on Twitter, there he is sweating, drinking, I don't hug, there he is hugging, hugging, you know, it, it was easily falsifiable things, but this guy is used to being able to just say something and, no, you know, as it were, or whatever, and just being a pompous ass, and people don't want to lose access to the royals, so they just, uh-huh, uh-huh, whatever, and I think predicating that there was another question why he was talking about the interest in the story and he's right about that part too but the um somewhat of the interest was squashed like dana robach and stuff did have the story in epstein on cbs and other three-letter networks in the united states and they were told to back off and one of the reasons given was well prince andrew's involved and we don't want to lose access to will and kate is that the or whoever it was the other royals you know, that was the excuse. There's always a quid pro quo. To not be talking about this and say, we do not know what that interview represented. What was a member of the British royal family, the Queen's son, doing, giving that interview? Was it in Buckingham Palace? Yes, I think it was. It was an insane event that happened where nobody came to a conclusion that makes that make any sense. I'd rather leave the problem open. Hmm. Who was forced to do what by whom that that interview would ever be granted? Yeah, I can remember <laughs> when it was first announced, having a sort of double take of like, this is not a good, this is not going to go well. And then the actual interview happened. And it's like, I think it went brilliantly. Maybe. For us. <laughs> for us. Right? It was effectively an admission that something is so off in the world, something that's so completely bizarre, that that thing would be produced. <laughs> that was some sort of internal conflict. I don't know whether it was between the queen and her son or intelligence services or I don't know what. But it was it was sort of the sense that you have like almost a hostage video where the person has to behave so bizarrely as to send a message. And the message I got is I'm going to lie. I'm going to fabricate. I'm going to say preposterous things in an effort to just put this to bed in the worst possible way. Like you want, you now all know never to ask me questions about this because I'm simply going to say the most outrageous <laughs> and insane things that I can possibly think of. I mean, as I said, I, it, it didn't twig at the beginning. It, it sounded like a terrible idea. But then I guess I rationalized it by thinking he's clearly got no self-awareness. Maybe he did think that he could clear his name. Nobody's that dumb. <laughs> Those questions were entirely expected. And the answers, if you, if you look at the amount of twinkle in the eye, I mean, he's clearly not a happy man. But he's saying absolutely ludicrous and preposterous things. I think that the effect is exactly the reverse. If I had to speculate, I really don't want to. I would say that this, this interview was given because an amount of pressure was put on a human being who decided that his life was effectively over in most senses. And this is the way he chose to go out, effectively making fun of the entire process. Yeah, but what's really interesting 
is I'm, I'm sort of aware, for example, the Royal Television Society Awards were two nights ago, the Journalism Awards, and the Prince Andrew interview won Scoop of the Year and Interview of the Year. So it's kind of been rationalised. And I've, I've seen people talk about how they got the interview. They, the Newsnight producer was trying hard and was on Buckingham Palace, like, which is kind of ludicrous, the idea that it was just the, <laughs> the um, dedication of the journalist keep continuing to ask for an interview that made Prince Andrew say, OK, you've asked me so many times. I mean, that in itself is kind of a ludicrous narrative, but it is a narrative that, that the mainstream, I've seen the mainstream media kind of... Um, integrate that whole thing into wow this is an amazing scoop you were dedicated and you got the story which is which is kind of ludicrous the idea that um so you see what i'm what i'm saying do you think andrew's off the hook now well by whom i mean not the public <laughs> for sure he essentially got fired after that interview not that he had a real job job but you know what i mean he was quick and he was very firm at one part in that interview when she talked about the royals plural he said oh no not them just me right it's only me and like distancing from everyone else but they had to see that too and be like what the are you doing you know because he completely botched that i don't think anybody watched that and thought oh yeah i believe him I mean, in the interview, he's saying he didn't see Epstein after that. And then she's like, but you spent the night at his house right after this picture was taken full of women. You know, it was so bad. And everyone knows what he did. But why haven't the authorities, like after, especially after that interview, continued to question him? How come he hasn't granted it? Like, get him to talk to the FBI. Like if Andrew had any... If he was a human being at all with any moral compass, any shred of humanity, he would just fess up and tell everything he knows so that some justice can have another. Like, ask for immunity whatever. It's not going to hurt the royal family because it's just you that did it. Uh, and everyone knows you did it anyway. Um, he needs to say everything he knows about Gesling Maxwell and the rest of them. But he's not going to do it. That guy is so narcissistic and smells his own farts. And he, I really believe he was that stupid. And it, it's just like, man, they, they can botch something and be as obvious as that. I mean, there's photographic evidence of him next to Virginia and Gesling Maxwell. I mean, the, the fact that why do you even know a 17-year-old American girl that's in London? Like, what was she doing there at all? Now, it don't matter what room you were in or whether you put your arm around her or not. Like, what are you doing with a kid that is not your daughter or your niece or something? Like, I don't know any little teenage girls, do you? You know, you who's from another country, you know, like, what are you doing together, period? And he doesn't have any good answers. So it's, it's funny because Weinstein's not trying to be funny. I don't think he's dead serious. And you ought to give that journalist a medal for not cracking up because I can't listen to it without laughing. <laughs> when he says, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a disaster. Uh, and Andrew's an idiot. But to answer your question, I think the public is not done with Prince Andrew. They, they know what he did, and they want answers, but what are they supposed to do? Because all the channels of authority are kind of ignoring this case and, and have ever since then. I mean, he was a little bit of life that was breathed into it was when Andrew did that interview. That got a lot of people interested in that wing and interested in this case again because it kind of tapered off with you know Trump attacking Soleimani and you know, other huge 
world events happened and Epstein just sort of went off the radar, which I'm glad you're bringing it back on the radar again. But, you know, Eric um, has some very pertinent questions. The only thing I disagree with is him thinking nobody's that stupid. I think I think he is that stupid. But uh, everything else, why isn't there more interest in this, right? I mean, by, we have, the public has interest in it. Why isn't there more interest by states in this case? And the answer is because another state that they are allied with that has lots of dirt on other operations that the CIA and MI6 have done, mutually compromised, right, is involved, and so they can't do anything about it. Okay, just a few things to say there. Then I spoke to someone who would not come forward, who was actually at the club, the night Andrew and Virginia were there, and she described the whole thing to me in a long phone call. And yeah, the public are um, very interested in this case. I've done almost 300 videos on this case now. And if people want to watch those, there's a link in the description box below this video to them. I interviewed Paul Page, who was Prince Andrew's Royal Protection Officer. And we've just launched our first ever documentary. If you're watching this and you've not seen it yet, it's called UK's Hidden Shadows. It's already going viral, and the first uh, section of that documentary is about Prince Andrew, Paul Page, the Royal Protection Officer, and he really details, you know, how Andrew puts on this public veneer, but behind the scenes, he was really uh, hostile and obscene to the workforce. So the link to UK's Hidden Shadows is also in the description box below this video, and I'll, I'll keep going with Weinstein. Really don't. I mean, oh, I'm so... Yep. Wasn't there a uh, UK television show with like puppets? Um, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about me and me and my dad every Sunday night. Um, that would be the what was the name of that show? Spitting Image. That was like the highlight of my weekend yes. watching that with my dad. Um, well, and, and... In, in that way back then they had Randy Andy and made a whole musical about him and his the way he was with women and and how he was. And, and what a lark he was. And uh, that's the kind of thing you saw about Harvey Weinstein and stuff, too. People making jokes about it first before it wasn't funny because it all came out and he got convicted and thrown in prison for it. But, you know, Randy Andy was a known thing. That's the kind of prince he was in that spitting image. Uh, one of the puppets using that, according to one of the victims, was actually involved where he groped her breast and then and then had the puppet do it. And it kinky weirdo stuff like that not as weird as peter nige and his diaper parties but you know up there on that scale and so that is a, a sort of canary in the mind when you when you see comedy shows and stuff kind of just playing off the rumors sometimes those rumors are true it turns out with andy it certainly was yeah and i was too under too young to understand it when i was watching that um spitting image program so, is it pronounced Peter Nygaard? How's it pronounced? I've heard it both ways. I say Nygaard because he's um, from Scandinavia, but, you know, maybe they say Nygaard. I don't know. Okay, so you've, you've got some information on sound, him. It sounds too, too close to another word, so I don't want to mess up YouTube, you know, by saying the other way. <laughs> Somebody, um, there was an article here on the weekend about um, Prince Andrew during his stay at the Epstein's I'm out of free, I'm out of free jail uh, party where Andrew was the guest of honor. Um, a model who was present at that party came out and said that they were watching the, the movie, The Queen's Speech, before it was officially uh, published. And uh, Andrew and Epstein um, 
were getting their toes massaged while they were watching this movie together. So she gave some details to, the, I think it was the Mail on Sunday here at the weekend. But yeah, l let us know what your thoughts on the on Peter um, Nigard Nagard, however it's pronounced, um, on that case as well, please. Well, it's it, just a quick comment on the toe massage thing. That's interesting too, because according to victims, Andrew has a foot fetish. That's one of his things: his toes. <laughs> so, yeah, Ferg, I think it's the think girls' Fergie, girls' feet as well. But <laughs> Fergie was into something like that as well. Is that right? Yeah, there, I don't need or want to know that about people. But if you have some sort of detail like that, and then like his wife or something can corroborate it, like why did this little kid know about your foot fetish? You know what I mean? So it is evidence. So it is worth mentioning. Um, as far as Peter's case goes, it's a lot of really bizarre accusations. Now his defense, which may be true. I don't think it is because the info I'm getting, but is that uh, a rival and a neighbor of his has made this up and has coached all these victims into what to say. But it went from 16 to 18 to now like 46. It's getting that's a little complicated for you know revenge because if you if you're wrong then then he can be punished. But accordingly, he was into drugging girls and down in the Bahamas uh, and abusing young women and you know and and passing them around to the team and you know that's really bad accusations, diaper parties, pamper parties. And degeneracy, kind of like the the uh, Khashoggi abuse cruises. But just because something sounds really juicy and, and a real horrible story, and it involves a rich tycoon who we all love to hate, doesn't mean it's true. So I will reserve judgment for a little while. I mean, in my opinion, he's guilty. But as far as what we can prove, we don't have that slam dunk evidence like we have with Epstein. We do have a lot of accusers but all of them are anonymous and that is what's it would just take one to come out and say okay this is my name now they may be afraid which is a perfectly legitimate explanation for being anonymous but give that story some more time and let it fester because it's hard to get that many women to cooperate and the questions you got to ask somebody like aren't about the abuse just say What's the inside of his house look like? And this and that. Like, what? Because why are they supposed to know that? You know what I mean? Things that they wouldn't know unless they had been on that location and so on. And so, and can you prove you were there at that time? That's the kind of stuff that has to be flushed out. And it looks like so far that, yes, these victims were in the Bahamas, were in these locations. And so, you know, his neighbor must have put an enormous effort to find all such people that, you know, match all of that evidence. So that's why I'm leaning toward guilt. But uh, for my standard, I want more evidence still. I want names. So we shall see in the future how that pans out. But accordingly, this guy was a real pervert. And Prince Andrew was a friend and had been the... Uh, was mm -hmm. Epstein a friend? Epstein was a friend. Do you have any so, an is there any anecdotes of what they got up to together? Well, what I have is kind of what you have I was saying earlier. I have people coming forward that don't want to be outed. So, you know, I'm encouraging them to just come out with it. But, you know, just give me a little bit of time on that. And I hope we can get that out. Right now, I've lost contact with a lot of people because of the, the website issues and stuff. But um, 
because I have to have Indian encryption and all that, and I'm handicapped at the moment. But I think that story is going to be huge as well. And it's weird that there is such a lack of interest in such a juicy story that you know the public would be all over, and it really isn't in, hitting the airwaves. So that's another tell. Okay, I'll continue with Eric. There's just a few minutes left. I'm so. What I'm saying is that it's already been rationalized within the mainstream media. The reason that that interview happened was because they were so dedicated and they pursued Prince Andrew and they asked Buckingham Palace and eventually they, they conceded and they gave the interview, which is kind of ludicrous. I'm saying it's ludicrous. Well, it is ludicrous, yeah. but I guess, I mean, my expectation is, is that even if the UK is no longer the world power it once was, I, I presume you still have adults with IQs over 70. How could you possibly rationalize such a thing? I mean, we used to turn to you guys, uh, intelligence and sophistication. This seems the height of folly. If I had to say this is much closer to a hostage video where the hostage is attempting to send a message that is clearly not the ostensible message on video. The really difficult part of the story, David, is, is that almost certainly we're talking about some kind of operation that was being run with knowledge of governments that may have involved pedophilia and was not shut down. And what I can't understand is um, what is it that is keeping some reporter from simply asking the questions that are on everybody's mind? Was this person connected to the intelligence services? Where was Ghislaine Maxwell's passport last seen? Why are we not talking to Les Wexner? Where are the trading records? What is the source of the fortune? seems to me very clear that we have a missing fortune of Robert Maxwell and an unexplained fortune of Jeffrey Epstein. Are those? So I asked Eri Ben-Manashi about if this was just part of a huge thing like Eric has described and that part was shut down if the whole is still in operation. And he said, yeah, the whole is still in operation. Can you speculate as to how that Gets you know continues in in its in the in the present. Yeah, because they didn't go after his properties. Like they found some CDs in New York, right? And that story disappeared too. He had safes. Uh, he, and and Gesline Maxwell was at large, so she has all the information in Blackwell too. Um, she's too hot to be public, but she has the info. So they always structure these things with redundancy and there's already a new Epstein and there were Epsteins before Epstein he he's the one that got caught uh, too many times and uh, they ended up taking him out but you know that black book we've seen all the powerful names in there the entire uh, mega donor structure is still in place and we've seen for example the Bronfman and the Nexium cult where uh, Claire Bronfman pleaded guilty already. They were branding women, and that was full of abuse. Uh, Sarah Bronfman there as well, and that goes right back to the mega donors too. Um, so these kind of things happen. And you had the, we've had the Finders cult. We've had the Franklin Credit Union uh, affair. We've, we've seen uh, huge human trafficking in Israel from uh, Eastern Europe that even in their own Knesset, it wasn't until the, past the 2000s that they could even get laws against this stuff. And they didn't even pass laws against it because of the horror of sex trafficking. 
the reason that they finally got motivated to do something about it is because it was disrupting the Jewish demographic majority in Israel. That was the argument they went with, not the abuse of women. And, and rather than punishing the traffickers, they punish the victims, the girls that have been brought there on false pretexts and ended up being thrown in the brothels as sex slaves, were further punished for illegal immigration rather than the people that trafficked them there. So this is an unapologetic state. You have to understand, Israel builds ethnic colonies in Palestine. They have snipers that shoot children in the balls for sport. There is no moral compass there. And they, they have plenty of Jeffrey Epstein's. I mean, their own presidents have been caught abusing women. Their own prime ministers have been caught abusing women. You had Moshe Katsev, the, both the Ahuds that I talked about earlier. That is, that's how they behave. The whole state from its inception was created by terrorist gangs that illegally smuggled people in arms through Haganah and Talmach. And so this is what was created there, right? It's a state on top of a state. It's ethnic cleansing, manifest destiny 2.0. You don't think that they can run a pedophile operation and organ <laughs> trafficking? Of course they do. Epstein was replaceable. Like he said, he was a, he was a construct, a cutout. The real money is the mega group, and they have plenty of weirdo perverts to take his place. And with Maxwell at large, with all the information and probably the zip disk and things they have, you know, the black on all these people, nobody really got freed from his web. All they did was kill Epstein so that he couldn't plea bargain up uh, his way out of a more comfortable jail cell or whatever and didn't give information to authorities that would start going after these people. And so they still hold the persons very tightly. I do think part of the, infra of the infrastructure was dismantled, not by the arrest of Epstein, but by his the butler that smuggled out the black book and gave us all the list of names. Because with that, the Miami Herald and Vanity Fair and all these investigative journalists have been able to dig, dig, dig and figure out uh, who's getting squeezed. And that has uh, really did do damage to this operation. But I guarantee you, there's a lot of names we don't know about yet, and those people are still being leveraged. You mentioned the Franklin scandal, and I recently interviewed Nick Bryan. And it's really sad that the only people who went to prison in that case were the victims. And they dangled these huge sentences over their heads for perjury. Now, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking that the apparatus at large has looked at the Epstein part of itself and said to itself, okay, we've got to avoid this in the future. Lessons learned. Now, if you go back to the Franklin scandal and numerous other honey track operations, you've got the people, the victims are often from the okay. lowest economic structures, from care homes. They are encouraged into crime and drug addiction. <laughs> And it's guaranteed then that when they become adults, nobody in the world is going to listen to them. They're criminalized, they're prostitutes, whatever labels they throw upon them. You're a heroin addict. Yeah, that's what they do. So, and a lot of Epstein's were also um, from the lower tier of society. But for his taste and for it to be most effective when they started recruiting models – you know, who were poor, but, and they did get a lot of victims who couldn't speak English. There are mentions like Virginia mentions orgies where a lot of the girls there 
were from Eastern Europe and didn't even speak English. So they did pray on the weakest, but not every time. They did pray also on some American girls who are right now speaking about it, and they didn't kill them. So like Gesling probably would have. They live with them long enough to gain their trust and get away, and that's the mistake they made, I suppose. So now they're just going to hammer on them even harder. We have got to catch Gesling Maxwell and Jean-Luc Brunel. Like, prosecutions in this case have to happen. We're halfway there. Andrew needs to be questioned. Wexner needs to be questioned. He's a billionaire, right? Abuse went on on his property. Dershowitz is another one out there that can be squeezed. It's not happening, and so the public needs to say, why? Go to the authorities and say, why aren't we pressing this case of international child abuse, right? We have to make it happen. We cannot let this die in the U.K., <clears throat> in the U.S., and in France, because he abused girls in Paris as well. There, we need an co- international coalition you know, to not let this story drop and to try and find and prosecute some of these people and unravel it all the way down. Because if you could get the mega group and remove the money from this, that is what really would make it fall apart. Because those guys have their fingers in a lot of other pies too. and But they, they layer it like we were talking about earlier. They're the finance guy and they have different bag men. But when they want to do something really dirty like assassinate somebody, they turn to organized crime because they're expendable. I'll just play the last two minutes of Weinstein then to see if it jolts any more thoughts. The same fortunes. Who's asking these questions? Did everybody go to sleep when they taught journalism in school? I just don't understand. I guess my sort of disconnect as well is this sense of I worked in Channel 4 News. I had an investigative unit. These were the kind of bread and butter questions. They pushed really hard, for example, on the phone hacking scandal in the UK the Murdoch Papers phone hacking scandal that also involved networks of power, it involved uh, shady deals, it involved corruption, and they, they pursued that quite intensely. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling a sense of dislocation because I agree with you, there are these questions that are not being asked, and I find it difficult to understand why that is, knowing that there are, knowing the, the public interest and, know, and knowing that the, the, these questions have been asked in the past. Let me tell you what happened. People started asking those questions, and they stopped. And that's what idea suppression is all about. We don't have the resources to pursue that right now. Well, actually, I'm concerned that this is starting to reek of conspiracy theory. Uh, I think given the delicacies of the situation, I'm going to need a lot more evidence before I give this thing the go-ahead. These are the sorts of things that you say when you're trying to shut down a line of inquiry. And my guess is, is that Whatever the story is, it represents some very powerful structure that we tripped over. And I tripped over that structure in 2002. And I was convinced at the time before there was any knowledge about this Florida situation um, that this was constructed. I mean, we have a very famous case of a guy named Ellie Cohn who was fitted with a backstory and became a playboy uh, in Damascus and held orgies, if I understand correctly, where he collected information and leverage against people in the Syrian government. If you take that situation, this looks remarkably similar. We've got a guy who was apparently a math teacher at a private high school, and the next thing we know, uh, he's avoided jail in some sort of financial scandal, and he's suddenly set up as a mystery financier. 
um, with connections to absolutely everyone in the top echelons of power. Something doesn't smell right about the story, given that nobody appears to have ever traded currencies with a guy who was apparently moving billions as a currency trader. So you know about this Ellie Cohen situation? Yes, and it's interesting how Eric mentions that he set up orgies and honey traps and spied on the Syrian government. For whom? It was for the Israeli intelligence. And he mentions Elliot Cohen knowing that you can just look that up if you don't know. You type his name in and figure out, oh, yes, he worked for the Israelis. He was an Arab Israeli that went in and spied and used honey traps. So he's, he's pulled out an analogy that couldn't be more close. You know, he in every aspect other than saying it's Israel, he said it's Israel with that right there. If it wasn't clear in the beginning with all the hints he dropped, he sealed the deal at the end of that interview with that analogy. Well, look, Ryan, you've spent a fair amount of your time with us today. Is there anything that I have missed out asking you that you would like to say? Oh, I appreciate all the time. And there's there's things I think you've gone over it with other people about the sweetheart deal and, and the Clintons and other things. There's a lot of stuff. I would recommend people uh, to get on my Patreon if you want to get this map. The map behind me is the old map. The new one has faces, names, and if you uh, order this, that's going to allow me to make it interactive uh, with an artist. So that's what we're looking forward to. And I think this will be the information dump, and I'll get you a, a poster as well. But I want you to, to sign a book for me. So Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get these, um, these two over to you um, ASAP. And um, I'm sure people are going to be asking if, if there would be perhaps a part three. So I'll, I'll tell people... If Ryan is obliged to do that, if he's so kind to do that, um, please put your questions uh, in the comment section below this video. And if he does agree to do a part three, we will put those questions to him in that uh, future video. Sean, I'm being pressured by my crowd to uh, talk about September 11th with you at some future date, which I'm fine with do that too, or part three. But that's something we can we can discuss later as well. Yeah, that was my wake-up call, was the insider trading that occurred um, before 9-11. That was my big-time wake-up moment, so I'd love to do that. There's, so, a lot of go there's a lot of goofy stuff said about 9-11. I'm not one of those guys, just to let you know. We do the, <laughs> the, the grown-up version, yes. And there's plenty of insider trading. That's absolutely right. So if you enjoyed this discussion today, you're watching this, um, please go down the description box, check out Ryan's channel, Please subscribe to him down there. I'll put his Patreon. I'll put all of his other social media links in down there. Huge thank you to all of our new subscribers. Just got a shout out from Eddie Bravo. A lot of people have jumped on from that. We've shot up over 400,000 now. If you've not subscribed yet, it is free to subscribe. The logo is in the bottom right-hand corner of this video. And huge thank you to people who've donated as well. PayPal, Patreon, just giving. We've got all those in the description box. Like I said earlier, almost 300 videos now on the Epstein case. The Epstein playlist is down there, Royal Family playlist, and our True Crime podcast. So thank you for watching. Thank you, Ryan, for your time. And I hope to hey, see thank, you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Eddie Bravo is a buddy of mine, so that's awesome. What a small world. <laughs> Good to hear. Jiu-jitsu together. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, uh, for subscribing. Make sure you hit the bell on Sean's channel. Sometimes you won't get notifications unless you hit the bell. So it's weird. You have to subscribe and hit the bell.
So that's the system they put in place, but get it so it increases algorithm and and get those books uh, by Sean and by Terry Reed, the ones we recommended, because I think that would really help you understand not only those events, but this sort of the uh, the modus operandi that they recycle again and again, like they did in Libya and Syria and, and whatever the next one is. Yeah, and if you are subscribed, double check it because I'm getting messages every day from people saying, "Hey, I was subscribed to your channel, but now I'm not. What's happening?" So please, same here. <laughs> yeah, keep on top as well. All right, thank you very much for your time. Peace. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've got some exciting news to announce. Michael Francis is coming back to tour the UK in 2024. The remade Mantor, the Michael Francis story. Michael Francis, once named one of the 50 most significant mob bosses in the USA by Fortune magazine, and a former member of the notorious Colombo crime family, will take you deep into the world of organized crime, sharing captivating tales and insights into the Mafia's past, present, and future. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Michael Francis, the original Goodfella, as he exclusively sits down with myself, Sean Atwood. With me as the host, there's going to be a no-holes-barred exploration of Michael Francis's life, including his numerous arrests and jury trials that ultimately led to his pleading guilty to a federal racketeering charge, a 10-year prison sentence, and $15 million in restitution. You will have the unique opportunity to ask questions during an audience Q&A session, making this event a must-see for true crime enthusiasts and anyone curious about the underworld. Don't miss this explosive in-conversation with Michael Francis. Live on stage in the UK, this exclusive in-person event will be held in various locations in the UK, Ireland and Scotland. Link in the description box below this video if you want to grab yourself a ticket. Back to the podcast. Cheers.